0: Saints, if you would open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos. And as you find yourself to Amos, scroll down to chapter 8, verse 11. So Amos chapter 8, verse 11. And within this passage, it simply opens up, and I want to read verse 11. And I'll read verse 12 too to keep it in the context. But it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. It's interesting that God says the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I'm going to send a famine on the land. And so God says it's going to come, and so... How soon it comes, when it comes, is it here already? I don't doubt that it's here already, but I do believe that the famine for this word, famine not being able to hear this word, is going to escalate more and more as the time goes by, leading to the end times. But God does warn this nation, Israel, the one that's about to, within about 40 years, being taken into captivity by Assyria, And he warns them, he says, the days are coming. And he he makes this promise to them. It's literally, it's not one of those promises that we want to read in our Bibles. You know how we like all those little booklets of promises of God? People don't want this one. But it's one of the things that he does say, I need to make this declaration to you. The words are coming. And God says this, I will send a famine on the land. God is going to be the one to bring this about Now, he does make a statement here. He says, I'm going to bring this famine. And he says, now this famine is not going to be a physical famine. Understand what he says. I'm going to bring this famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. So understand that it's not a physical famine that he's going to bring. And I think it's important to realize that within this physical famine that he's not going to bring. Even that, I just want to take us back for just a second to realize that even a physical famine, that a physical famine is the fact that we can eat, the fact that we can drink, that's a gift of God. I mean, the very fact that we have food, that we have water, that we have these things, that's God's gift. You realize that it was God who spoke and he created the water. It was God who spoke and he created all the herbs and all the trees. God spoke these things into existence. So even the very food we eat, the water we drink, was a gift from God. Without him creating it, we'd have nothing. And I think it's so important that when we come to seeing that there, if it was a physical famine, which is not going to be, but even in this physical famine, realize it's Jesus that gives life. We have this tendency of thinking that, you know, it, it, it's the, the food, it's the drink, and, and Jesus wait a second, even that's me. Remember when he was talking to um, and, and responding to the enemy? They're in Matthew 4, chapter 4, he actually quotes this passage back in Deuteronomy 8, 3, but he makes a statement where the enemy says, hey, you know, you're, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, and he says, listen, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we look to this thing, and even the Lord is trying to teach us, it's not necessarily the physical. The physical, it may sustain you, but it will never give you life. I mean, it may help you breathe and help your heart work, but it will never give you life. And so, you know, here the enemy says, well, you know, fill your stomach. He says, I want life. I don't want just my stomach filled, I want life. Remember what Jesus had said to the the woman there at the well when he went through Samaria there in John chapter 4? He makes this amazing statement to that woman. And I want to read you just a portion of it. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 14 so that you can kind of grasp what it is. But it says in John chapter 4, verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So you already know it's not the physical bread. And here he tells this woman, give me a drink, this this physical drink. She comes to draw water. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. In verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said, if you'd known the gift of God and he who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So all of a sudden he says, I want some physical water. And she's like, well, well, you know, what are you going to do with this physical water? Why are you talking to me about giving you physical water? And Jesus said, wait a second. I want to teach you. I want to show you there's something more important than the physical water. Just as he told the enemy, there's something more important than the physical bread. Jesus said, if you would have asked of me, he says in verse 10, I would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, there's a physical water, and then there's this spiritual water. There's this physical bread, and there's this spiritual bread. And I think it's important for us to realize as we go through this, that when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. And he says, okay, you you want a drink? If you would ask, I would have given you this living water. And we begin to see here that heart that God begins to show us there's more than just the physical. And this is what he's trying to teach us through Amos. He says, Look, it's not going to be this physical bread, not going to be you know, the, the thirst for water physically, there's going to be a famine for hearing the word of God. And so as we look to these things about the bread and the, the, the water, remember what Jesus had said to the disciples who were there around him there in John chapter six, two verses that you may want to jot down if you're a note taker. The first is verse 35. The second is verse 51. They say similar things, but enough difference that I want to share with you both of them. In John 6 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You understand what he's saying? He said, Listen, I'm the bread of life. If you believe in me, you're not going to hunger. You're not going to want that bread that the enemy he said, Hey, make these stones into measly bread. What good is that? He said, If you you come to me, he said, you're never gonna hunger. If you come to me, you're never gonna thirst. Because in John chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, and I shall give for which I shall give for the life of the world. So he says, here's my flesh. If you take of my flesh and you eat of my flesh, I'm going to give you this living bread. And so as he makes that, you know, one of those I am statements as he comes here, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of me, if you partake of me, me and my goodness. In John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37 through 39, he makes that next statement where on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood crying out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. See, understand, it isn't about this physical bread. It isn't about this physical water. It's about really finding out, Jesus, you are the one who gives us life. So he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart now will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So understand, you ask Jesus into your heart, and he gives you what? He gives you the spirit as that surety, the guarantee that, yeah, you're mine. I've put a down payment in you. That's the payment of the Holy Spirit. You're mine. And so as we look to this, we understand, oh, now we begin to see that it's not that physical bread. It's not the physical water, but it's all pointing to what? It's all pointing to Jesus Christ, And even that very word that becomes a famine, understand that in John 1 verse 14, remember what he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word becomes Jesus Christ. He was with God. Didn't consider Robert to be equal with God, and there he was in the beginning with God. And so as we see this, I think it's important to recognize it's all about Jesus Christ, Paul makes a statement that when he's going through Athens, and he made a statement in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, he said this In him we live and move, and we have our being. Everything that we are, it's in Christ. In Christ I have life. In him I live. In him I move. In him I have the very essence of who I am. And so we we do see here that this is what what Amos is, is trying to say. He says, Now understand, it isn't the physical bread. It isn't the physical water, and that's not what I'm trying to tell you. But here, understand that even if you were say it's the physical bread and physical water, if you were to have that, it's still not enough. Because you can have bread and you're going to hunger again. You can have water, you're going to thirst again. But if you have Jesus who is the bread of life. If you have Jesus through him and then he gives you the Holy Spirit, which is the living water, you have him. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. This is the key to life. And this is where here Amos begins to warn. And that's why I wanted to bring you to not just that physical, but to the spiritual, because what Amos says in Amos eight eleven, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'm going to send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst of water. So understand, it's not this measly little famine of having no bread and having no water. That's nothing. Because you can have the bread and you're going to hunger again. You can have the water, you're going to thirst again. So it's not this little tiny famine of no bread and no water. What he warns is there's going to be this massive issue not this little issue of no bread and no water, but a massive issue of, of hearing the words of the Lord. As we look to this, the, I want you to understand that he's not just saying there's going to be a famine of the word of the Lord. He says there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. There's a passage in Deuteronomy. If you're familiar with it, just he goes, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one." And and it, and the 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 term in the the Hebrew they call that passage the Shema. Hear, O Israel. And and so that's what it says here. He says, and listen, there's going to be a famine, not of of bread, not of a thirst of water, but of hearing a Shema. The hearing of the word of God. The famine is not hearing. Now understand that that word Shema is a multifaceted word. It doesn't just mean to hear. It doesn't mean just to have it go into your ear canal and then, you know, under, you know say, oh, I heard something. The term often in the scripture, you'll, you'll read it this, hearken unto me. So it's not just hear, it means to hearken, it means to obey, not just to listen, but to heed, to observe, to attend, to follow, to confirm, to comply. That's what what it's talking about. It says hearken, do these things, not not just hear it, but, but hear it to the point where it moves you into action. Because there are a lot of people who simply hear they hear and, and it's you know, I don't know if, if your parents ever said this to you, it goes in one ear and out the other, or it just you know, doesn't quite go through there or it just goes around, it bounces around and echoes in a hollow space. Understand, it's about hearing, receiving, gravitating. Hearken means then then walk it. And that's why in the, the Old Testament that that term hearken is, is used when they t- use the word Shema. Shema unto me, hearken unto me. And so it's important that that here, without the word of God being heeded, in other words, heard, listened, and walked, without the word of God being hearkened to, what we're gonna see here is this, that sin and disobedience is going to increase. If I'm not listening and, and, and receiving and hearkening to the word of God, sin in my heart is going to increase. Sin that's acted out in my life is going to increase, that disobedience. But when I hear the word of God and I receive the word of God and I walk out that word of God, then everything begins to change. See, Jesus makes this beautiful statement where he talks about, listen, you who are wise are going to be those who hear my words and do them. To him, I'm going to like him to a man who builds his house upon a solid foundation, upon the rock. The winds are going to come, the waves are going to come, and they're going to beat on the house, but it's going to stand because it was founded upon the rock. Now, the foolish man, he was not wise. He's the one who hears the words of God and does not do them. And Jesus says, I'm going to liken him to a man who builds his house upon the sand. And the wind comes, the wave comes, and it just takes away the foundation of the sand, and the house falls. He says, oh, and great was the fall. And as we see here, it's about hearkening to the word. It's about observing the word. And and so realize here that without obeying the word, not not just hearing it, but then walking what it says, he says that, that... people's lives personally my life if I don't heed that word of God if I don't hearken to that word of God if I don't respond to that word of God actively what's going to happen is there's going to be this famine I'm not going to be able to receive that next word or the next word because I'll be honest with you if I can take any portion of the scripture and reason it away saying it doesn't apply to me you know what that means I can take another portion and say, oh, I can reason that way one a way it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to my situation. Understand, this word of God is always going to apply to you and applies to every situation. And there are no exceptions to this word. And if you listen to the lies of the enemy and say, oh, I'm an exception. <laughs> you might be an exception at the moment but just give it some time. The word of God is going to be fulfilled. So as we look to this, if we don't hearken to this word, if we don't shema this word, if we don't obey, not just listen, but heed it, if we don't do that, there's going to come a famine for hearing the words. In other words, there's going to be no ability to truly grasp what God is saying. Why? Because if you can deny one aspect, you can deny another, and you can deny another, and then it just begins to take little micro steps back. I don't know if you've ever heard someone, or maybe you've said it yourself, that if you begin to not heed the word of God, and all of a sudden you open your eyes and you look and say, how did I get over here? How did I get here? And let me tell you how you got there. One little step at a time. Just a little step, a little step, and there's another step. And then, oh, I can, this is an exception. I can walk away from this. And then eventually what begins to happen is you find yourself over. How did that happen? It's a famine to the word of God. You're no longer able to hear the power of the word of the Lord. And so keep in mind that if we do not hearken to the word, if we don't shema the word, if we don't heed this word, our personal lives are going to unravel our society will unravel and i think that's what's happening in our society i mean how many people can can look at genesis when god created everything and how much of our society says you know god didn't create it there was this little tiny you know something in the middle of the universe and it simply exploded And then through that, all of this particles flew off and cooled off, and then heavier particles grew, heavier particles, and they got more particles, and some ignited in the sun, some stayed planets, some had water, some had nothing. And and it's like, really? And when God says, I created everything, then he said, no, no, what happened is our planet, there was just this cosmic glue. And then you go through the zoo and you get to you, and that's how it is. And you're wondering what in the world is going on because they're denying the word of God. And if you can deny Genesis, if you can deny any aspect of Genesis, if you write it off, then you're already just a pure, perfect dupe to just fall into everything else to say, I don't believe this and I don't believe this and I don't believe this. this." How can that be true? Understand everything is true. God gave, and he brought a flood upon the entire earth. He did, and he wiped out everything and everyone except Noah and his children and his wife and his children's wives and the animals that were there on the ark. Everything else perished. Everything else perished. Everything that was there on the land and breathed on the land, it all perished. When God was taking Israel through the wilderness and he parted the Red Sea and it was a wall to the right and a wall on the left, guess what? He literally brought them through the Red Sea, not in mud, but on dry ground. And there was a wall on the right and a wall on the left. And after they got through, the wall came back and it just drowned and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. You realize there was a prophet by the name of Jonah. He disobeyed God. He said, God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, no, let's go down the other way here. I'm not going to Nineveh. What's the, what's the opposite direction of Nineveh? And eventually God, he does what? He talks to the winds and the waves. And as he talks to the winds and the waves, he then what? He calls this great fish. says, hey, get ready. I'm going to give you some kibble. You can't eat it, but you're going to, you get, to get to chew it and you know, digest a little bit anyways. And so he, the fish comes and he swallows up Jonah and the fish travels back. Back to the land, and then God tells the fish, listen, I know you're hungry, but just barf up that guy, would you? I I got a message that he has to give. And so the, the fish literally goes to land, vomits Jonah out. The fish listens to the Lord. Jonah, his prophet, the one that he made in his own image, the one that he called by voice, by name, goes the other way. But a little fish, well, actually a great fish, swallows him up and listens to the voice of God. It actually happened. Understand these things are true. Believe it. God came to earth as a man. God sought out man. Religion says man seeks after God. Christianity, Jesus says, listen, you never sought after me. I've been seeking after you before the foundation of the earth. I've sought after you and I found you and I died for your sins. God went to the cross and died. That is true. And when he died, he went into a grave and he was there for three days, three nights, and then he rose. He rose from the dead. Not rose from a sleep, not rose from a swooning. He rose from the dead. These things are true. And he promises us that if I have overcome death in me, you've witnessed it, I've now overcome death for you. These things are true and they're they're, they're a beautiful thing. But what happens is there's a famine. If you can deny one, you can begin to deny something else and deny something else. And I'll tell you what, there's deniers all over dealing with this word. But when you come back to the truth of it, we begin to see here, I understand what the word of God does. I understand that, that all of creation listens to the voice of God. There's a passage I want to read to you found in Jeremiah 10 couple of verses that just you want to just jot down. Jot down verse 11 to the first part of verse 14. But in Jeremiah chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, God says this, thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So all these idols that they made, they're not going to be around. Then it declares this, they're going to perish from the earth. They're going to perish from the heavens. Now, how does he know that? Well, God says in verse 12, he has made the earth by his power. See, how does God know that they're no longer going to be there upon the earth? They're no longer going to be there under the heavens? Because God said, I made the heavens and I made the earth. I even made this material that you made into idols. So why do you want something that's substandard that I made? Why don't you just seek after me? But it says in verse 12, he made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. And then notice what it says in verse 13. When he utters his voice, this is God, his speaking, there is a multitude of water in the heavens and he causes the vapor to ascend from the ends of the earth, and he makes lightning for rain, and he brings out the wind out of his treasuries. But then he says, but everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. See, you look to every aspect of creation. The very fact that God takes water from the oceans, brings it up into the atmosphere, brings it upon the land, and allows that water to fall on the land. Yeah, sometimes it falls in the form of snow, but he does causes it to fall. And eventually that snow melts. We plant food. It grows because of the water and the rain. And we partake of it. But this is God. And he does this, now understand, by his voice. God speaks these things continually. So if you wonder, why does the wind blow? Because God speaks it to blow. Why does the rain ascend? God speaks it to ascend. Why does the rain fall? God speaks it to fall. It is all God. You have to understand he created everything and then he continues everything. So even the very creation obeys the Lord. If you guys are familiar with that passage in Matthew chapter 8 verse 27 where Jesus is there with his disciples and they're, they're marveled because they say what? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Marvel! Who can this be? Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, what's interesting is this: apparently, all creation listens to God. The wind and the waves listen to God. He'll go on to say, and this is a, a beautiful thing, that in Deuteronomy chapter four, as he talks to all the universe, and it responds to the Lord. Something unique and different is said in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 32 through 40 so you can grasp what it is that's going on here. But in Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 32, here's the Lord. He makes this statement. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you and since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. So he says, go in a time past, scour, scour all of history, and then ask yourself, has anything like what I'm about to do or what I'm doing ever been seen or heard? And now he says in verse 33... Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? tell me if you've ever seen this. There was a God who speaks to you. There is a God who ministers. There's a God who fought for you. And he brought plague after plague. And guess what? He spoke to lice and lice listened to him. He spoke to frogs and frogs listened to him. He spoke to darkness and darkness listened to him every single thing listen he spoke to the water and it turned to blood we begin to see this and then he asks in verse 35 he says to you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself as God and there's none other besides him and in verse 36 out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on the earth, that he would show you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you In to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, verse 39, know this day and consider it in your heart. The Lord himself is God in heaven above the earth, beneath the earth. There is no other. And now he says in verse 40, therefore, you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments. What is he saying? Has anything like this ever happened? that you've seen the hand of God, you've experienced the power of God. And he says, therefore, what he's saying? Heed the words, Shema. That's all you do. And so he says here in verse 40, therefore you shall keep the statutes and his commandments what the Lord commanded you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. And I think this is so powerful to realize that, yeah, God speaks to all creation and it hears his voice. God speaks to the wind and the waves and hear his voice. And God said, I did something amazing. I didn't just speak to creation. I've spoke to you. I've spoke to my people. And, and the crazy thing is there in John chapter 5, verse 28, that the Lord is speaking. He says, listen, all who are in the grave will hear his voice. The dead are going to hear him. Now, understand, when he calls the dead, they hear him. How do you know? Remember Lazarus? There was Lazarus. He was dead, and then they were saying, He said, Listen, let's get him out here. They go, No, you don't want him out here now, Lord. I love the King James. Surely by this time now he stinketh. (laughs) There's a stench that's coming from that, and you don't want him out. There's no shout. He's been decaying for days. And yet Jesus could say this, Lazarus, come forth. And I love the fact that there's, there's commentators that there's a reason he had to say Lazarus, not just come forth, because everyone would have came out. Well, that's kind of cool. But he did. He called Lazarus. And guess what? Out of everyone that was there, Lazarus came out bound in those grave clothes. So all who are in the grave are going to hear his voice. In John chapter 10, verse 3, he makes this next name. He says, listen, those who are his sheep his sheep hear his voice. See, there's this understanding of the word of God. There's understanding of here, And so keep in mind, the sheep just don't simply have it go in, but the sheep heed it. Why? How do we know? Well, he says, listen, he calls his sheep and they come to him. See, the doorkeeper there, he just simply opens up and lets the sheep go. He calls the sheep and they respond to his voice. They go to him. This is the key. It's about recognizing this is the voice of God and I want to heed that voice of God. And as we look to Jesus being this word, the next thing is this. This book here is the word. I I love the heart of it because there's a portion when Paul was talking to the church of Thessalonica. I want to read you just one portion of scripture. um, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14 make this statement. For this reason... We also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What is he saying? We just simply spoke out this word. And when we spoke the word to you, what he's saying here in First Thessalonians chapter two, so we spoke this word and you heard it and received it, not as a word of men, but you recognized this, this which we hear, that which they were quoting was the word of God. And what they did from it, as they responded to it, Paul would say, listen, this word that you received, you welcomed it as the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. See, as you heed it, guess what? It changes you. As you heed it, it protects you. As you heed it, it guards you. This is the key. And so he'll go on to say in verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Jesus you begin to walk out this word. You became imitators of others who walked out this word. And I think this is the key to hearing the word of God is to make sure that what? You hearken to it, that you heed it, that you obey it, that you begin to walk this word. It's not just the hearers of the word, but it's the doers of the word. See, everyone heard the word, but the wise man did it. The foolish man did not. So it's not just hearing the word, it's, it's about applying this word, hearkening to it, heeding it, obeying it. There's a portion, we read it a few Sundays ago. I want to read it again. It's Psalm 95. And in it just a couple of verses? I want to read from verse 6, and I want to read all the way down through verse 11 to the end of that psalm. But it makes this statement in Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And the warning now comes to the end of verse 7. And it says, today, if you will hear his voice, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and they tried me as though... Though they saw my work. And he said, For 40 years I was grieved with that generation. And I said, It's people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my way. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. God dealt with the children of Israel for 40 years. 40 years. And he makes this statement I was grieved. I spoke to them, and I spoke to them, I talked to them, and they didn't what? There was literally a famine in their hearts that they couldn't hear and heed and do my words. And I was greed with that generation. I said, you know what? This people who go astray in their hearts, and it says this, and they do not know my ways. Now, they didn't know his ways for lack of God saying it. They didn't know his ways for lack of what? Them heeding it. See, if you know these things, and as Jesus would go and, and he'd wash his disciples' feet, he'd make the statement, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not if you know these things, blessed are you if you've heard them, or if you know these things, blessed are you if you've made notes so diligently there in Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee. He doesn't say, blessed are you if you've memorized them. That doesn't mean anything. It's what? It's doing them. It's heeding them. It's hearkening. And this is where the famine was. The famine wasn't the word of God wasn't getting out. The famine was that the word of God wasn't being believed as the word of God. The problem is is they didn't want to hear that word. And I think it's important because there are so many warnings that come through the scripture. Jesus made one. It was a very powerful one in Mark chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. I want to read it to you, but it declares this. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So we all have ears. We can all hear. But then he makes a statement. In verse 24 of Mark 4, he says, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, but for whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What does it mean? It means that if you're walking the word of God, here's some more, here's some more, here's some more. I want you to walk it. I just want you to enjoy the blessings that come through obedience to this word. But if you don't want to walk it, he makes this statement, even what you have will be taken away. Let me give you Lowe's definition. There's going to be a famine of the word of God because they're not walking it. And believe it or not, that you and I as Christians, if we begin to not walk this word, if we begin to say, you know, I don't believe this is the word of God. I don't believe this applies to me. Then what's going to happen is this. You're not going to believe something else applies to you and something else applies to you. And eventually you will believe nothing applies to you except the ones that you want. You'll think the Bible is Burger King, that you can have it your way, that you can say, no, hold, hold the, 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 the chastising. I don't want that. Hold the exhortation. I don't want, ah, Blessings, yeah. I'll take the blessings. I'll I'll take the blessings. Now, now, not the blessings of, of you know the ones that in this world you're gonna have, you know, tribulation. No, not those promises. I want all the good ones. Just just give me stuff, Lord. And it's interesting that what we begin to see here is he makes a statement, and this it's so important to gravitate to it because Jesus, he who has an ear, let him hear. But it's not just hear because he goes on to say, if you if you hear these sayings and do them. Those are the things. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. As you apply it, more will be given. If you reject it, more will be taken away. And so it's important as we go through this to recognize, God, I want fully everything that you have to offer. But what happens is this. When you hear the word of God and you say, this doesn't apply. You hear the word of God and and I don't want to have that. You become like the church there in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first three verses, Paul makes this statement, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnals, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? She said, I, I wanted to give you some really great food. Now, can you imagine going to a restaurant, looking at the menu and saying, I will take a glass of milk and saying, wait, wait, there, there, there's Mexican food here and there's German food here and there's Mexican, you know, and there, there, there's, there's all this great, you know, American food. I want a burger. No, you get milk. Why? That's all you can digest. You're just a baby, Think about this. When when babies come, they don't get softwood. They just get milk. And that's what he said. You guys are just babes. He said, you should be older. He said, you guys are like 10 year old babies, 15 year old babies, 20. If you're not walking this word initially, you're never going to get more. And you're, you're, you're stuck on this little tiny bit, these little bitty promises. But when you get into the depth of the word, the meat of the word. And I know what you're saying. Lowell, there are times that you shove so much meat down our throats, we're gagging on it. And it's true. And I apologize slightly for that. It doesn't mean that I won't do it again, but I understand how much it is. So what I'm asking you is this, just when I'm shoving it to you, just put it off to the side, draw a note. In other words, just stick it in a to-go box, take it home, then dig it out, then chew on it again through the week. Because what happens is this, you guys are, are mature enough to, to get meat, and I, I just expect you to get meat. There's an actual study that went on for preachers and teachers that said that one thing you should never do to start your message is this, to say, open your Bibles. There's literally counsel to preachers and teachers to say, never start your sermon with open your Bibles. My problem is, is I've never given a good sermon. I've always opened it, Open your Bibles. I expect you to have them. If you don't have it with you you make a mistake, there's ushers that'll bring you. Hey, you need a Bible. Why? Because 10 times out of 10, we're gonna be in this book and we're gonna look to it and we're gonna be not just looking at this passage. We're gonna be looking, how does the Bible talk about this passage? And so what happens is you're going through the book of Amos and we're only looking at chapter 8, verse 11, but you're like already in Matthew 4 and Deuteronomy 8, and then you go to Mark 4, and then you go to John 7 and John 1, and then you go to John 6, and then, you know, you're in in Matthew 8, and then you're looking at Jeremiah 10, and you're jumping all over. But guess what? You're learning the Scripture. You're learning the balance. You're learning what it is and what the Scripture talks about what? What it means to be a family of the Word of God. And what it means to no longer shema the word, to hear the word, to hearken the word, to do the word. And I think it's important where she says, Listen, I, I wanted to speak to you and give you meat. Well, the problem is, is this. People today, they want sound bites. They just want a soundbite. I want, I don't want, I don't want to be taught fully doctrine. Give me a soundbite. Give me something that I could just, just a nice little sound bite that I can take it home that I can walk. And, and, and I'm, I'm, that's all I want. And they're wanting entertainment more than they're wanting exhortation or instruction. Just, just come and wow me. Come and just make me feel good inside. Now what happens is many times the word of God is, is going to not make you feel good inside, but it's going to make you feel right before God. And what do you want? Do you want to say, I just want to be, I, want to, I just want to feel good? If you want to feel good, you need to spend money and go to a movie. And, and, and you know, only the happy movies. And there's very few of those that are out there. You even look at the little kid movies. I don't know why Disney always kills off a parent. One of them's dead. Usually the mom, sometimes the dad, but there's always a dead parent. And then what? Then, then the kid goes. Poor little Nemo, his mom died. And he's wandering off, but his dad, he goes following him. You understand that there's, you take a look and you say, I just want happy. Very few things are happy. And what happens is this. They only want to come to be entertained. They only want to come to hear a promise. They, and and they would say, I want to leave feeling good. And I'll be honest with you. I, I love leaving feeling good. But the good that I love feeling is this, that I'm right before God. Because sometimes the message that I hear, it causes me to repent. And and I don't feel good in the repenting, but directly after, I have the blessings of God. That I know I'm forgiven. I know that he's going to move on. I know that his mercies are new. And this is the beauty of of when you come to the word of God, and you're not just wanting to be entertained. You're not just wanting to say, okay, I want to feel good. Keep in mind, the word of God is a guide to his heart, It's also a guide about our hearts and reveals our heart. The word of God is power over temptation and power over sin. When God says, listen, you can walk this in a way that's holiness, you will be able to walk it in a way of holiness. When he says, I'm going to break the chains of that which was holding you and binding you, he's going to break the chains of that which was holding you and binding you. And so often God begins to say, listen, I'm going to give you the power and enable you to walk in holiness. That's what this word will do. And what happens is if you only want the good stuff, if you only want to just go and eat the sweets, you can go and you can eat the sweets, you can eat the chocolate, you can eat those things. On the Valentine's Day, sure, eat a chocolate. But I'll tell you what, sometime you're going to have to get into some veggies. Sometimes you're going to have to get into some meat. Sometimes you're going to have something that needs to be nutritious because that's what the word of God will do when He take you through the whole of the word. And I think it's important to realize that more and more in our society, there's just going to be issues. Remember when we were going through 2 Timothy, and I want to take you through just a portion of, of what um, he had spoken. In 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 3, I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. I'm going to read verse 1, I'm going to read verse 5, and then we'll jump over to chapter 4. But it makes a statement in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this in the last days, perilous times will come. In verse 5, he says, the people are going to have a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. He said, in the last day, there's going to be perilous times. There's going to be these issues. People are going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. What does it mean they're denying its power? They have a form, and it's like, I'll, I'll walk an outward, but I don't want the word of God to do an inward. And the real power comes when what? When you allow the word of God to affect your heart, when you affect your mind, affect the way that you walk. And so in chapter four of 2 Timothy, what Paul said is, I charge you therefore before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He says in verse two, preach the word. Declare it boldly declare it with passion, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he tells Timothy, be nice. No, he doesn't. He tells Timothy, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. You need to be honest, but be honest with kindness. (laughs) You need to be honest, but if you're going to tell them you're doomed, tell them with a smile. (laughs) It's one of those things where you still have to reveal the truth, but you don't have to beat them up with it. You just have to declare it. Let the Holy Spirit come. He says in verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4, For the time will come when well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What is Paul telling Timothy? There's going to be a famine of the word of hearing the word of God. It will be proclaimed. But what's going to happen is they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. They're not going to want to hear the truth. They're going to want to come and say, okay, you can say what you're going to say, but I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to do. And I'll tell you what, when you open your Bibles in the morning and you read your devotions, whatever God says, do that. That's his will for walking with him that day. Let that be your guide. And I love the heart because he really warns. And so he tells Timothy there after he says, okay, now they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. They're going to be turned aside to fables. But in verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What is he saying? Preach the word. You need to preach the word, you need to convince, you need to rebuke, you need to exhort, but you got to do it with patience. In other words, you proclaim the word, and it's not like everyone's going to respond right away. Keep in mind that I went through a lot of verses. Some of them you're going to like, oh yeah, this one's for me, and others are like, I don't think that one's for me. And that's okay. Because I don't expect you all to do all of it, and I need to teach with long-suffering, knowing that there's going to be sometimes I'm going to communicate, and you're all going to look at me like, I have no idea what he's declaring. Long-suffering, but you continue to teach, and you continue to teach, you continue to instruct, and I think this is the heart of it. And why do we do that? Well, God makes his own promise in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, where he says, my word will not return empty. It's not going to return void, but it's going to go forth, and it's going to prosper and do what I've called it forth to do. See, when I give out the word of God that God tells me to give out, I know what he's going to do. He's going to bring in a harvest that will glorify him, and that's just a reality. Sometimes I'm going to send out a word, and there's going to be a part of your heart that's stony, that's hard, and nothing's going to sink in. The enemy's going to come grab that word, snatch it. There's going to be other times I'm going to declare a word and it's going to fall in this shallow place where immediately it'll spring and say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. But then in a week or so, I was like, what was it that I was going to do anyways? It's sort of like a New Year's resolution. You know, the things only last three days. And it's only going to last a little bit of time. And then it's gone. It's shallow. There's no root. And there's another one that's going to come. And the word is going to be planted. And it's going to grow up. But along with that word, there's going to be all these cares. There's going to be the things of the world. And things are going to grow up along with it. These tears, and that are going to choke out that word. But then there's going to be more word it's going to fall in good soil, a good depth. And it's going to bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. As God begins to open up, he says, this is my heart. This is what I want to do. And that's how we know. I'm just going to simply give forth the word. And his word's not going to return void. It's going to purpose that which he's meant to do. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us about the word of God. In verses 12 and 13, for the word of the God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's able to to... Division between the soul and the spirit is a joint in the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. And all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Why does God speak a word? Because he knows where we're at. He said, I want you to hear this word today. I want you to receive it. I want you to shema it. I want you to hearken it. I want you to heed it. I want you to obey it. And, and this is why we so often come back to this beautiful word which God wants us to do. And there's a passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just read you just a couple of verses. Verses 21 through 24. It declares this. Paul says, um, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He said, I'm going to give this crazy message. And it's a message that people are not going to want to hear, that people aren't going to gravitate to. And and this message, they're going to say this message is foolishness. Because what does all of man's religion teach? That man is go is so good, he's gonna seek after God. And then he, in his own strength, is gonna change and he's gonna honor God with who he is and how he changes. And Christianity says that you're horrible. It says there's nothing good in you, that none are righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses as are filthy rags, and we begin to see here, he said, this is the foolishness of the message. He goes on to say in verse 22, for the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What do we do? We don't teach religion. We teach relationship, and we teach that relationship can only come. You can only know the Father if you do what? Receive the Son. And whoever the Son chooses to reveal the Father, then you can have your eyes open. But if you do not receive the Son, you will never know the Father. And that's where religion just has this problem, that God would become a man, that God would die on the cross. Why can't I do something? You can't do anything because what? You have a sin nature. The sin nature just causes you to sin. It doesn't cause you to draw after God. And so I love the heart because we see here that God, he is well pleased through this message that is preached. And, and I want to be with Paul preaching that message, declaring the truth. In Romans chapter one, verse 15 and 16, Paul declares this, so as much as I as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love what Paul says. I want to declare the gospel. What is it? I just want to declare Jesus. Jesus. Here's the issue with the world right now and why there's a famine. They can't accept Jesus Christ. They can't uh, uh, accept the fact that you and I, with all that are in us, we want to live our lives and worship Jesus Christ. See, if you go to someone and say, oh, God bless you, they're like, oh, that's cool, you know, God bless you is good. But if you go to them and say, hey, may my Lord Jesus Christ bless you, they're going to think, oh, you're one of them. Why is it that the name of Jesus has such a reaction to the world? You can say, God bless you, and they're okay with that. But when you say Jesus Christ, so you can say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray to God. It's like, okay, well, you can pray to God. But to them, God could be anything. God could be, you know, it's whatever you want your higher power to be, whatever you want your God to be. But when you explain to them that your God is the person of Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden you're now set up different. Here's where the famine comes in. They cannot believe the message. They cannot believe the gospel. And, And I'll tell you what, the key to anything is telling them, Jesus Christ and him crucified. i Paul says. I've desired to know nothing else among you, he tells the church and court, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to proclaim Jesus. I want to proclaim my king. I want to proclaim my savior. I want to proclaim my God. That's the message. And so we see here that the, the famine comes is they don't want to receive Christ. They don't want to receive this word as this is God breathed. And they want to make an exception and they think I I can, you know, not follow this part of the word or I can, you know, leave out that part of the word or I can believe this but not that or this doesn't apply to me. And when it comes to Jesus Christ as God, as Lord, as Savior, a lot of Christians don't mind him having Christ in your life. They just don't want him on the throne of your life. That's where the famine for the word comes in. He's in there, I'm hearing, but I'm not heeding. Now, how do you know you're heeding? Well, you get off the throne, you put him on the throne, and when he speaks a word, then what do you do? Aye, aye, Captain. (laughs) Yes, my King, I can't wait to walk what it is that you have. Why? Because I'm so grateful for the life that you've given me. Because you've given me you, your flesh is food and you've given me the spirit is water and I am glutted and I, I'm literally overflowing. What can I do in my gratitude to you to know that you've given me eternal life and you've given me life here now? How can I respond to that? And this is the beauty we're here. Amos begins to do a great service to all the men and the women that were there in Israel by saying, listen, the days are coming that I'm going to send a famine on this land, not a famine of physical bread, not a famine of thirst for water physically, but of hearing the words of the Lord, of heeding the words. You're going to, the words are going to be heard, but you'll never heed them. Words are going to be spoken, but they'll never be walked. And I think sometimes it's a good idea to when you take notes, now, I, I've, I've done this before, and I do this even with my own notes. I take notes, and I go back on the notes that I, I wrote a month ago, two weeks ago, last week, and I ask the questions, am I doing this? And it, it, it's a challenge to you. One is take notes. Two is to take them so they're legible so you can read them, and then go back on them and ask the question, am I doing any of these things, or was it just good information? Because what really happens is if you're getting notes and getting notes and getting notes, I hate to be honest, you're still, there's a famine. There's a famine. It's not that you're he- not hearing it, you're hearing a lot. I, I know you're hearing a lot. And people tell me it's a lot. And I understand it's a lot. But if you're not heeding it, if you're not hearkening it, then I can tell you one thing and it would still mean nothing. And I think it's so important. He says there's gonna be a, a famine. Of hearing the word of the Lord. And they're gonna wander from sea to sea. They're gonna, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go there, and from north to south and east to west, and they're gonna run to and fro. They're gonna be seeking the word of the Lord, and now it's like, now I want it, now I need it. Now it's too late. You understand, when he's given the word now, heed it now, because there's gonna be coming time, well, now I need it, now I need it. Well, it's too late now. You you should have been heeding it all along now. Keep in mind, he says, you're not going to find it. You're not going to be able to say, now I want to walk it. Because you haven't been walking it. Until you come to the point of absolute repentance, absolute surrender, where you're going to be those wise men who hear the words of the Lord and do them. That's where the power comes in. And it all comes to the very first thing, believing the gospel. Believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then allowing him to be that Lord on the throne of your life. And then whenever he says, whatever the words go, then heed the words. And I think it's so important that as you you hear the words and you heed those words, keep in mind, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. It will be measured to you. For him who has, much will be given. And to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Apply the word. Let that be something that we desire to do where if you are sitting in a message that takes, you know, 20 minutes, do one of the things that are said. If you're in a message that takes more than 20 minutes, which is usually one of mine, then, then do something of what he says. Find something. What is it you're challenging me to do in my life? And I want to walk those things out. Heed the word. If you choose not to heed it, there's going to be a famine. And I, I, I want us to be glutted. I want us to be glutted. I want us to have just a fullness of Christ in me. Just I'll never hunger again. I want the spirit to be in me, overflow me that I will never thirst again. And because I'm satisfied, I'm satisfied. Yeah. While I'm satisfied with Christ and, and I'm partaking of both of the milk and the pabulum and the meat of the word, I'm going to be eating physically here and there. But spiritually, I'm going to be satisfied. And why? Why will we be satisfied? Because we're going to be walking what we know to be true. And as you do that, you're going to find yourself glutted. You're going to find yourself refreshed. You're going to find yourself so confident of what? Of my salvation. I'm abiding in you, and I'm walking in you, and I'm growing in you. I'm bearing fruit with whatever you're directing me to do today. I'm abiding, so I'm so confident in our relationship. I'm so confident in who I am, and I'm confident that you have me and that one day you're going to take me home. Let that be our heart. Let that be our praise. Amen? Amen. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for you and for this word and, and your heart and how you work these things out. We do ask, Lord, that by your spirit, by your power, that you would take these truths that we have been learning and, Father, help us to apply them to our lives. That it wouldn't just be notes that are there in in a a notebook. It wouldn't be just scripture that have been memorized. But, Lord, there would be a, a truth that we can put in our hearts, walk in our lives. So in all these things, Lord, would you, through your spirit, would you, through your grace, knit us to you, Give us ears to hear, truly, Lord, what your spirit would speak. And then through your power, help us to hearken it and heed it and walk it. To your glory, to your glory alone, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. amen.